0: Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I'm your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Counterthought, the Biden administration's missteps of the Afghanistan withdrawal. Well, it's official. As of 3.30 Eastern or 4 o'clock Eastern today, the final military, U.S. military plane left the airport in Kabul, which marks the end of the 20-year war in Afghanistan. And notice I said the end of the war in Afghanistan, not the war with Afghanistan because we were never fighting the Afghan people. We were fighting the terrorist group, the Taliban, in Afghanistan. Because we all know, or at least I hope we all know, that even though we are not fighting anymore physically in Afghanistan, the war on terror continues. And now that we're out, I think it's appropriate for us to take our time to look back at the decisions that were made regarding this withdrawal. You can call it a post-mortem, I'm going to hold off on using that term until a little bit more time goes by to see what happens with the leftover Americans and Afghans, Afghans that are remaining in the country. Which as far as American citizens go, that number is approximately, we're told by the State Department, 200 to 250 people. But the State Department doesn't um, really know. They always make sure they say, oh, well, we're having a tough time calculating the final number because, you know, U.S. citizens are not required to register with the embassy in Afghanistan whenever they leave the United States and go stay in Afghanistan. And Americans are not required to notify the embassy whenever they leave Afghanistan. But it seems that the amount that we're all willing to accept is around 250 people as of the, the final plane and the doors being, or the gates being locked at the airport this afternoon. So looking back at this disastrous withdrawal, yes, disastrous, I think it's appropriate that we look a little bit of a timeline, go kind of chronologically to point out the missteps of this Biden administration, because there are many. First of all, this withdrawal became an evacuation. If you paid attention to the timeline of what was going on, especially going back two weeks, and if you haven't listened to any of the previous two episodes, please go back and do so. They're about 30 minutes each, episodes 14 and 15. Episode 14 goes a little more chronologically to where, back to when the uh, withdrawal began. And episode 15 is a continuation of that, but offers a little more uh, commentary regarding the withdrawal instead of just more so of a, a timeline like episode 14. But I use the term now evacuation because that's what it was. A withdrawal would be nice and orderly. You know, we'd The State Department would do their thing with the American citizens and their passports and bringing them back to the United States. And then with the Afghans who had special immigrant visas, those who helped us out during the 20-year war, would process through the State Department, come back in a nice orderly fashion or whatever country they needed to go to, one of our allies maybe. And then we were also helping out the, not vulnerable, that's not the word, we were also helping out the... I guess, severely at-risk Afghans as well. So three groups, the U.S. citizens, the Afghans with SIVs, special immigrant visas, and the extremely vulnerable. But a true withdrawal, it would have been nice and orderly. State Department would have handled processing all the people. The military would have done their thing with securing... The military would have done their thing with securing the airport, and we'll get into the airport later because it shouldn't have been the Kabul International Airport, or Hkaya, as it's called. It should have been using the Bagram Air Base, or both. But this withdrawal became an evacuation because the Biden administration made numerous missteps and miscalculations. The optics of what was going on these past couple days, this past weekend, culminating into the... The final plane leaving today, with Americans left there, again, around 250 of them, was that we were being pushed out. We were being pushed out, hurried up, hurried up. We were were relying on the mercy or goodwill of the Taliban to get out by August 31st. And we were scrambling. It wasn't just the U.S. military and the State Department getting people out. Our allies were scrambling, getting their people out. Germans, French, English, Australians. And we helped evacuate over, I think, 100,000 people was the final count. I think roughly a a fifth, maybe up to 40% of those people uh, were our responsibility. But all those people weren't even moved by our military. They weren't all moved by C-17, big big planes, or C-130s, I believe, is another one that was being used. But we had to use a um, a policy or an agreement that we have in place with commercial airlines here in the United States to offer up some of their commercial jets like Delta or United Airlines or American Airlines to help us move everyone to evacuate. And then when all of that wasn't happening fast enough, And when the State Department wasn't moving fast enough to process everyone, there are countless stories of American citizens back here at home using their resources to get the people out that they knew were in Afghanistan and stuck. Either stuck at their house, stuck at the airport, got to the airport, but weren't approved for some reason. If you watched any of the uh, conservative media or listened to any conservative podcasts, you might have heard about the uh, Digital Dunkirk or Pineapple Express, or other organizations, one of which is, I believe, Glenn Beck's organization. It's, I forget the name, it starts with an N. But all of those combined, I think, helped evacuate somewhere around 2,500 people, maybe more. And reports today came out that the State Department, the United States State Department, was actually reaching out to these private organizations to help get these individuals out of the country. I mean, it was just a debacle. We were unprepared. And yes, I say we, we as a country, but really we as the the Biden administration, because of this unpreparedness. I, don't, I know I personally don't want to associate myself with the Biden administration because it is on them. And we heard the president say in a couple of different speeches over the past two weeks, the buck stops with him. But then the buck stopping with President Biden was always followed by a but. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I remember actually... <laughs> Everybody remembers what is said after the word but. So you can be paying someone a compliment, but once you say but, everything you said before the word but is erased. Whoever you are talking to is only going to focus on what you say after the word but. And I remember this, this actually was told to me as part of, I think, like a youth group church youth group lesson uh, one week, probably in middle school, maybe high school, probably most likely high school, but it was about that. You remember everything after the butt. For example, oh, your hair looks great, but I think it'd look better if you parted it to the other side. Oh, that's a cool car, man. That's awesome. But it's used. Oh, yeah, you did a great job today during the meeting, but you forgot a couple things. Or, the buck stops with me, but President Trump is the one who started the talks with the Taliban and originally set the date for May 1st. That's what President Biden kept saying. Buck stops with me, but Trump. But the Afghan government. But the Afghan military. But we didn't expect this. We didn't expect the Taliban to take over within a couple of weeks. We were expecting earliest one month, two months, maximum two years. Well, Mr. President, turns out when you remove your military, especially the Bagram Air Base, and hand it over to a military, by all reports, that did not have the willingness to fight, the Taliban's going to move a lot faster than you expected. Misstep after misstep, giant debacle. It's all started going back to... When the, uh, watching over the weekend, uh, two weekends ago, like this map of the Taliban showing how much of each province of Afghanistan, the Taliban kept taking hour by hour. President Biden was out of office. He was at Camp David. The press secretary, Jen Psaki, she was on vacation. She literally had an out of office message set up probably for her outlook. Secretary of state, Blinken. Reports came out over this past weekend that he was in the Hamptons when this whole debacle started. And then all of the, those three, Biden, Saki, and Blinken, remained on vacation through that Sunday when the Taliban overtook Kabul. They had to be dragged out of their vacations, which tells me what? Tells me that this administration was overconfident in their plan. They made a plan, and it's like they put it on autopilot, cruise control. They thought, oh, we'll just do like the rest of Washington, D.C., which August is a vacation month, turns out. So we got this plan in place. We're kicking it off. Everything's set. We're just going to set it and go. We'll go on our vacation a week here, you know, come back in seven days. Everything will be good. Our deputies will handle it. Deputy Secretary of State, Deputy Press Secretary, Vice President. I'm not sure what Kamala was doing at the time, but for President Biden, to would be the Vice President. Everything will be good. It's just set. Well, we know now that that was not the case because of the missteps that took place before that. But the administration was overconfident in their plan. They were overconfident that they knew best when in fact it seems like they didn't know best at all. Looking at what happened over the past two weeks, simple common sense and logic would tell you that if you get rid of your intra-country airbase, which has multiple runways, not a single runway like the Kabul airport, has other military vehicles, all these capabilities, plenty of space. I think um, no, I heard from a retired general. The Bagram Air Base, compared to the Kabul Airport, which the Kabul Airport allowed a, a perimeter maybe of just maybe 200 yards around the airport, which <laughs> which was secured by the Taliban. But the Bagram Air, Air Base would have allowed like a thousand yards. A thousand yards, which is almost a mile. It's about three quarters of a mile. That's much better than a couple hundred yards, 300 to 600 feet, compared to 3,000 or 3,500 feet. That's a huge difference. Not to mention all the military personnel that was there. Not to mention all the equipment that was there. Vehicles, artillery, other equipment that is used to handle those vehicles. Drones and the like. But you decided to remove the troops from there and give the Bagram Air Base over to the Afghan army, a bunch of newbies on the block. And the Taliban rush in and overtake the Afghan army, and then all of it is theirs. But we didn't know the Taliban was going going to do that. Well, we knew for at least the last year and a half, the Taliban was held at bay because we had this air support for the Afghan army. And where'd that air support come from? The Bagram Air Base. That is one of the major missteps of this entire Afghanistan withdrawal or evacuation, this debacle, moving out of the Bagram Air Base. We moved from, I think I heard it was a billion dollar airbase, maybe more, to a piece of junk airport in the capital city of Kabul with a single runway surrounded by city streets, buildings, civilians, like I said, maybe a 200 yard perimeter and that's it. That is a terrible decision. And reports came out um, today, or late Sunday. I'm recording this on on Monday night, August 30th. Reports came out Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I believe, saying that there was a conversation, and I think we're going here with the blame game, a conversation between the generals, or the joint chiefs, And the president of the United States and whoever else is involved in the situation room, and the the decision was made to close the Bagram Air Base by the president of the United States and not the generals. So if that report is true, that is on you, President Biden. That is on you, Mr. President, for making that strategic tactical error. And why a general didn't push back to the point of resigning, I don't know. Why not push back? Did they believe that that was okay, or were they just too afraid to push back? Either way, it's not good, and obviously resulted very negatively for our country. This whole debacle resulted in 13 deaths. I can't believe I haven't even mentioned that yet. But you may have seen last week on Wednesday, maybe Thursday local time, or it was Thursday, that we lost those 13 military servicemen and women thanks to a suicide bomber who was able to get right up to the gate. And there are many more injured and over 170 civilians were killed in that blast as well. And those bodies of the 13 service members came home over the weekend to Dover and was greeted by President Biden and the First Lady. 13 caskets covered with the American flag. Those lives did not have to be lost if there wasn't so many missteps, not mistakes, missteps in the planning of this withdrawal. So why 831? Why August 31st? Seems kind of arbitrary, right? Well, 831 is 11 days from 9-11. And what year is it? 2021. 9-11 was 20 years ago. September 11th, 2001. I was in 10th grade, I remember, I remember it was a school day, I don't remember what, which day of the week, but I remember coming into the, the building where most of my classes were because I was in this little special engineering program, but I remember coming in and going straight to the drafting room and my teacher, he always had the TV on and the TV then in 2001 was a CRT TV and he always had it on the news. Rarely ever had volume. I don't think he maybe ever had the volume up unless no students were in there. But the TV was on. I think it was always on CNN because CNN had a better reputation then. <laughs> um, or he was just a liberal. I don't know. But anyway, I walk in to the drafting room, probably around nine something in the morning. The start of school, my first period. And there on his TV are the Twin Towers. And I believe at the time I saw it, I know for sure one plane had already hit the Twin Towers. The second one probably had as well. I'd have to go back and compare. But I remember walking into his classroom and seeing on the TV, which was usually, like I said, just the news. But instead, it was the Twin Towers. One or both of them already hit. That's my memory. And like my parents, when they were born... And like anyone alive at the time, everyone remembers where they were when they heard the words, the president of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy has been shot. Everyone knows where they were. Everyone knows where they were when they were told that the Twin Towers were hit on 9-11. So why August 31st? Well, Biden had hyped up his decision earlier in the year. He wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. He wanted to get out in time or before the 20th anniversary or commemoration of 9-11. So the 8:31 date was chosen for the optics of being able to stand up there at some grand event. Remembering those lives that we lost on 9-11 and saying, I ended the 20-year war in Afghanistan. I ended it. Not, not the three presidents before me, but me, Joe Biden. I ended it and I did not pass this, I did not pass this war onto a fifth president. Well, Joe, in hindsight, you did a lot worse than that. So 831 was just a political photo op. He wanted to pat himself on the back and have Numerous other people pat himself on the back and say, yes, thank you, President Biden, for getting out of Afghanistan. And thank you for doing it before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. But when you ask President Biden about the 31st, whenever he's not uh, walking away from the microphone. Or if he forgets, he's not supposed to uh, ask you or call on you to ask him a question. President Biden says, oh, well. You know, Trump started this. He had conversations with the Taliban going back, you know, during his presidency. Well, that's true. And yes, it's true that President Trump, former President Trump, set May 1st as the deadline to get out of Afghanistan. But if you've watched the news, you've heard President Trump say it, his former Secretary of State, and many others say it was conditions-based. So, hey, we're going to be out by May 1st. But if you, the Taliban, are doing any of these things and are not meeting these conditions, then we're going to delay our withdrawal. And Depending on what conditions you are not abiding by, we will use strict and swift heavy force against you. And why President Biden and his administration keep bringing up like the oh the May 1st and we, you know, August 31st, we, we couldn't do anything about it. I mean, August 31st. Okay, well, then why were you able to change through executive orders the Remain in Mexico policy, which, by the way, the Supreme Court uh, overturned that? Why were you able to use your executive order to erase other things that Trump did, such as shut down the Keystone Pipeline? There was no signature on any any document resulting between the conversations of Trump and the Taliban and you obviously had some some influence because you're able to change the date from May 1st to August 31st. So don't give me this about you not being able to do anything to make the withdrawal go smoothly and orderly. You set the 831 date, President Biden, because you wanted the photo op of being done in Afghanistan before the 20th anniversary of 9/11. And if 831 wasn't a wasn't enough time for you to get everyone out, but May 1st was, I mean, Trump thought he could get everybody out by May 1st. Okay. New administration comes in. Maybe it takes a, a, a month or so to get everyone to, to get caught up, get caught up from the transition of one presidency to the next, but all right. So we're in February. You announced in April. So you already knew when you announced in April that you weren't going to make May 1. So you chose a date. Well, if you didn't think you were going to have enough time by August 31st, why didn't you choose farther? Why didn't you choose later into the year? We know why. You wanted that photo op. And August 31st could have been met. I mean, like I said in my previous episode, it's like they wrote someone, the whole administration wrote down on a sticky note, 831, put it on their desk. And as the months of April, May, June, July go by, More and more thanks piled on the desk, covered up your little sticky note, 831 withdrawal. And then eventually you got around to cleaning off your desk, probably before you went on vacation, right? And you found that sticky note. And then it's a mad scramble like, oh crap, 831. Well, what were you doing the previous three months? What was the State Department doing? Why were they not processing all of the paperwork and everything else they had to, to get the SIVs, the Afghans with the SIVs processed and out? Why do we not have these planes that we saw evacuating our U.S. citizens and the Afghans going instead of every 45 minutes, like they said that like the um, Pentagon said they were doing over the last week and a half, could have had maybe two going per day over the last three months. I don't know however the math works out, but definitely much more, uh, a longer time frame between each flight for sure, instead of waving our hands and... Screaming like running around like chicken with their heads cut off. Frantically trying to get everyone out. You set the date in April. What were you doing? May, June, and July. You gave yourself more time. And I hope the American people are not buying that one one bit. And thankfully, I think we can say that the American people don't. And yes, by the American people, I mean both sides of the aisle. And even including independents. Because an ABC News Ipsos poll came out over the weekend polled all three groups, asking, are you satisfied with the withdrawal from Afghanistan? And across all three political parties, Republicans, Independents, and Democrats, all three were at 82 or higher percent, saying, no, we are not pleased with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And not as in, we want to stay, but... No, we are not pleased in how this is being handled and operated or conducted. So you know you did something wrong when you have all three in agreement at over 80%. So the administration can try to spin it however they want, but I hope the American people do not let this administration off the hook for what happened. 13 lives were lost, 13 servicemen and women, over 170 civilians, and then when we, as collateral damage um, in war, I guess, we had drone strikes over the weekend and partial retaliation for the suicide bomb that killed our Marines, but also to stop upcoming attacks. And one of those drones blew up a car bomb, and it was the secondary explosion for, for, from the bomb that was within the car, not the rocket itself, but from the bomb of the car, that ended up exploding on a city street. And reports are that it killed dozens, maybe more, other Afghan civilians who were just there minding their own business, trying to live their life. So roughly over 200 lives have been lost during this withdrawal, this evacuation, because it was rushed. Now, that Bagram Air Base and the terrible decision it was to to leave that and then leave it in the hands of just the Afghan army before we got all of our people out, all of our citizens all of the SIV holders, all of the at-risk Afghans, we should have held onto that base until we got every civilian out that needed to get out, and then we withdraw our troops. But have you heard of the? Have you heard about the list of U.S. military vehicles and artillery and equipment that we left behind? That's now in the hand of the Taliban. The list has fluctuated over the past week or so, but the latest list that was published in the New York Times over the weekend was that we left over $80 billion with a B dollars behind. Now, we can't seem to get like whether to know for sure whether or not any of, any of the vehicles or other things had some type of kill switch, for lack of a better term, that left them inoperable. Nor do we know if the if the um, Taliban will know how to use them, but I'm sure if they don't know how to use them, they could probably find someone who could teach them. But eighty billion dollars left behind. We're talking twenty two thousand Humvees, four like C one thirty airplanes, over two hundred thousand over two hundred thousand assault rifles, or AR-15s. We left behind Black Hawk helicopters. We left behind armored, other armored vehicles. $80 billion of equipment just left behind. And not only that, but we had thousands of prisoners at the Bagram Air Base that were let out by the Taliban when they overtook it. Taliban members ISIS members were all let out, roughly 2,000 of them, when that base was overtaken when the Taliban overtook the Afghan army. Now, you could say that was inevitable, which, okay, true, accurate. But if we would have held onto that base longer, maybe we could have got rid of it, moved it out, loaded up on some planes and brought it home. But we didn't. We left it. Or maybe we could have taken more time if we saw the Taliban advancing from there, if they would have advanced and left some of that equipment inoperable or more of it inoperable. And then a stunning report came out over the weekend, I believe on Sunday, saying that in fact, the United States military, President Biden, his administration had the opportunity to use our own forces, our own troops, to be the perimeter around the Kabul airport. It was either us or the Taliban. And we chose not to do that. It said we chose not to do that because that would have required more troops. And the optics, I guess, of that would have looked bad, sending in more troops to secure the perimeter. So we left it up to the Taliban. That's from a Washington Post article. And if that's true, that to me, that just blows my mind. The Taliban, the same group terrorist organization that has killed and continues to want to kill Americans. We're going to leave our security and the security of of our citizens and SIV holders and at-risk Afghans in their hands. Sure, a deal can be struck, but are we really going to trust them? No, and the administration says they don't trust them, but then they also talk at the other side of their mouth, making it sound like they do trust them, which in itself is crazy. But the Washington Post reported that there was an opportunity for us to keep to be in charge of the perimeter. So we would have had the airport secured and the perimeter secured. Instead we chose the airport and had the Taliban to secure quote unquote secure the perimeter around the airport. I just I just can't believe that. And again, whoever made that call or recommendation, no one else resigned all you hear from from Biden when he's asked questions about the decision making, all you hear is we were in unanimity. It was a unanimous decision. Okay, so no one disagreed? Or did someone disagree and then just pressure was put on them until they did agree? Or if someone did disagree, did they not open their mouth? Do they want their job so bad that they don't care about principles if they disagreed? I mean, where's the leadership? Where's the speak truth to power? We heard that all the last four years. I spoke truth to power. Well, where is that here? Or are we all, or are we led by the same minded people within the executive branch, within the White House, within the military, within the Pentagon and the State Department? Are they all one mind, one mindset? No one has a different opinion or a different approach. Or no one will speak up about it, or for it. Isn't that leadership? Now, I want to leave you with this, and I'm taking this uh, next statement from I believe it's uh, Greg Godfeld said it on the Five last week, but it's so good I have to repeat it. The issue with Biden as president, and we can see he's declining. I mean, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be a neurologist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist to tell, but mentally he is declining. But what Greg said, he said, the issue that the Democrats in our country is now experiencing with Biden is that Biden is president because he was chosen to beat Trump. He was chosen to win. But once Biden won and was sworn into office, he had to govern. And Biden was not chosen to govern. He was chosen to win. And now that he has to govern, he's failing. He's failing because instead of an orderly withdrawal, the withdrawal became an evacuation, a mad scramble to get everyone out. And like I said, we did not get everyone out. There's approximately 250 Americans that remain and who knows how many um, Afghan citizens remain that helped us. We left the withdrawal, the evacuation, was an embarrassment. We left with our tail between our legs. Like, oh, Taliban, oh, Taliban, don't hurt us, don't hurt us, ISIS, don't hurt us, we're going, we're going, we're going. We'll close the door on our way out, thank you. We're at the mercy of the Taliban. Can you imagine 20 years ago when we were, when the Twin Towers were hit, that we would leave Afghanistan in this fashion? That we would trust the taliban to act as a one level one layer of our security when we're trying to get out of there this debacle is an embarrassment for our country militarily and diplomatically this debacle is a blood stain on the fabric of our nation and our flag like i said 13 u.s servicemen and women dead roughly 200 or more afghan civilians dead it did not have to be this way. And then what are the long-term effects of this evacuation on our relationships with our allies? They've already, our allies have already spoken against the decision-making that, by the Biden administration. And why would our allies want to partner up with us in the next war when they see what we did trying to withdraw? Not holding our commitment to the Afghan people who helped us. Why would our allies want to partner up with us when we didn't talk to them about what was going on whenever the Taliban ended up taking over the country as quickly as it did? And I believe we didn't talk to our allies either about when we were going to start the withdrawal process or leaving the Bagram Air Base. So how long is it going to take us to mend those fences if possible? I mean, it's hard to earn trust back. It's hard to earn trust back especially when that trust involves lives. So who is going to trust us moving forward? Why would foreign citizens help us fight for them in exchange for a new life when we couldn't guarantee the safety for approximately 45,000 Afghan people that helped us during the 20 years in Afghanistan? This withdrawal has been a disaster. Going back two weeks and since then trending it has been the hashtag Biden Disaster. So many missteps were made It just blows my mind, and you know you got it wrong, like I said, when 80-plus percent of Republicans, Independents, Democrats, the American people, agreed that this was not handled well, but now that we're out, we have to move forward and focus on the people who are left behind, which our State Department says that we will do. There are various ways, they say the State Department says, for us to get those individuals out if they want to get out. And we will work over the days, weeks, months ahead to do that. Again, at the mercy of the Taliban and any other terrorist organizations within Afghanistan that want to do harm to those individuals. If I was any of those 250 Americans or Afghan SIV holders, I would not feel comfortable. I would not feel confident in the United States to get me out. I would have more confidence in the private NGOs or private citizens and NGOs to get me out than the Biden administration. And Lord, I pray they do get them out. My prayers go out for those Americans and Afghans that were left behind today. We may have a hostage crisis on our hands in the near future. I pray that we don't, but we've lost a significant amount of sight into Afghanistan to watch the Taliban and their actions. I pray the Taliban and any terrorist groups don't fine and don't harm the Americans and Afghans that we are responsible for and that remain in Afghanistan. And as I said at the start of this episode, the war in Afghanistan is officially over. However, the war against terrorism is not. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter, at counter underscore podcast and on the Counterthought podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.